Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom and welcome everyone. You are listening to The Chosen People. And actually for the next three weeks, we've got a real treat for you uh, because we're going to be deviating from our regular schedule of going through the Torah portions, which honestly has been such a great experience. We've been going through Leviticus, but we're going to take a little pause from that and actually bring to you some very exciting news and interviews uh, with some of our staff members and, and key leaders in Israel. So Mitch is there right now, and I'm going to hand it over to you, Mitch, and please introduce our first guest. Thank you, Bobby. I'm excited to be in Jerusalem right now at our beautiful Jerusalem Messianic Center. Uh, It's near the old city, probably about a 20, 25-minute walk. And uh, the other night, I was down at the wall at one of the festivals with uh, people praying and dancing and singing, and uh, just it just really rips at your heart to see so many people that need to know the Lord and uh, that are so sincere and so zealous who are actually waiting for the Messiah to come. Some of these ultra-Orthodox, dear, precious Jewish people, but they just don't know that the Messiah has come and, of course, will will come again. But uh, that's all the more reason why I'm so glad that our team in Israel, about 27 uh, staff members, are working in Israel, sharing the gospel. The name of it is Beth Sar Shalom, House of the Prince of Peace, uh, from Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, the brother that I'm going to introduce to you now is uh, a wonderful friend and colleague, and we've been serving the Lord together for a quarter of a century. How's that for feeling old, Michael? Well, wow, wow. Uh, Really, 25 years. Yeah. It's a lot of time. It goes fast. Yeah. And so uh, please welcome uh, Michael Zinn, and uh, in your own home or your car or wherever you are, just shout out a hearty shalom, Michael, and welcome. Shalom, dear friends. Uh, Michael, uh, there's so many things that I'd like to uh, talk to you about, but one of the incredible ministries that uh, we've had in Israel, and God has really used you uh, to develop those ministries and to lead those ministries and that is Ministry Among Holocaust Survivors. And I'd love to know how that happened and what we're doing among Holocaust survivors, what the numbers are, how the, how this population uh, has changed over the last 15, 20 years, and um, just a little bit more about what we're doing and any good stories you can tell us about people that uh, are open to the Lord that would really encourage our, our listeners. Yeah. Thank you, Mitch, for asking. Uh, this is uh, uh, really a ministry that very dear to my heart. And it's all started uh, many, many, many years ago after my father and mother immigrated to Israel. Uh, just to say, we moved to Israel, me and my wife, in 89, and my mom and dad joined us three years later. By that time, we already came to faith, it happened within the first year of our being in Israel. Interestingly enough, uh, my father, uh, believing in God in general, and one day I brought him a movie, and it was a Jesus movie. And he looked at that in, on TV, 
And mom, uh, this time she was uh, somewhere in the kitchen. So he uh, looks at the screen and suddenly he starts to scream to my mom, Leia, Leia, come here. This Jesus, he looks like a Jew. <laughs> what a shocker. Because usually when you see Jesus, you see it like in a blonde, blue-eyed, you know, wasp, something like that. Swedish. Swedish. Swedish well, yeah. Swedish like that. So, uh, and I thought, listen, uh, my dad, it's not that he is not interested in Jesus in general. He was not interested in some particular Jesus that has nothing to do with his Jewishness. At the same time, I understood that my father was pretty old by that time. And I looked around and there were a thousand and thousand and thousand Holocaust survivors with no single understanding about Yeshua. And it started many, many, many years ago. And since that time, we really developed it. It's a very dear community of 150, for now it's 130 probably, a thousand people remained alive. And with the shrinking, of course, every year. And uh, I believe, you know, in some 10 years from now, we'll not have anyone around. So it creates the urgency, immediacy of this ministry to them. If not today, so when? Right. Usually when they share gospel with the people, I say, okay, let's continue tomorrow. For many of them, tomorrow never comes. So after all they suffered, you know, I would love to bring them comfort, but ultimate comfort. And, comfort of, and, and what, sure. the, what do we do with the Holocaust survivors? How, how do we even find them? I mean, find is pretty easy. They're very active. Mm. You might be surprised. In all sorts of organizations, registered in the municipalities, attend all different events, so on and so forth. And you can find them. Uh, you can find them. It's not a big deal. Big deal, how are you going to share gospel with them? And here's one trick. In order to share gospel, learn how to listen to them. Mm. Because, you know, the general tendency, we catch somebody and we know time is short and we start to talk. It doesn't work with Holocaust survivors. They have a lot to say and to show real interest in their life. You have to commit your life and your time to listen to them and to prove that you love them. And when they feel they are loved, God can make a miracle. And he does it. He does it. Many, many of them come to faith. And we take them on trips because so many are lonely and they've outlived a lot of their friends. And so I really am so glad for what God's been doing through the team in Jerusalem all these years in sharing the gospel you know, there's another group of people that I think are very precious and important and needy at this moment, and that's uh, a lot of the Ukrainian Jewish people who are displaced and have to leave Ukraine because of the war with Russia. And uh, we're gearing up uh, the best we can to minister to these folks. You're originally from Lviv, which is in Ukraine. And so you understand the folks that are coming over. You yourself made Aliyah. You became a citizen of Israel. So 
Tell me what you think these folks are experiencing. How many are coming to Israel? What are some of the ways to serve them and love them and show them the love of Yeshua, just like we, we do with the Holocaust survivors? Yeah, I, I wish I would never be asked this question uh, because when I see, you know, the, the life of these people, really, I mean, that hurts uh, very much, breaks my heart. You know, Jews who wanted to leave either for Israel or United States or Europe did it. Who's left? Who's left in Ukraine? The Jews that pretty been settled well enough or uh, been um, uh, to such ex extent uh, assimilated that they didn't consider uh, their Jewishness as issue or the third group is very elderly people uh, that really weak and really can't afford to go. None of them out of these three groups was not prepared to leave. They didn't have the proper papers. They didn't sell their properties. They didn't find new job. So the war caught them in the middle. Mm -hmm. And they were not new immigrant. I was new immigrant, but I was not refugee. That's a huge difference. Big difference. And they, they are both new immigrants, no knowledge, no money, no papers. Most of them have to prove their Jewishness. So on one hand, they are not Ukrainians anymore, and yet they are not Israelis. So we help them really just to do something with the papers, to comfort them, to feed them. Everything you do for a stranger. In a sense, they're sort of strangers, and, and the, their identity is very, very uh, uh, mixed. They, they can't understand what's going on. If you add to this that they got children, and many of them have the husbands who are not allowed to leave Ukraine because of the war today. So you can imagine, uh, you know, this sense of, of tragedy uh, we see in uh, this move of these people here to Israel. Yeah. Well, we're going to reach out to them and care for them and love them as we're able. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, love always works, doesn't it? Uh, that's just for me that that's the only thing that works we need to we to really need to embody the gospel and all that we do Amen. and it's one of the things i love about uh, our ministry in israel we find uh, where people are hurting and we try and meet those needs uh, sometimes we're accused by the jewish community of taking advantage of hurting people but our dear jewish people and jewish community and leaders don't understand is that's exactly what Jesus did. He loved people the way they were. He didn't want anything from them. He just wanted to love them and love care about them. Love doesn't take advantages. It it's doesn't. Love is love. And uh, Jesus is revealed through our love. And when people see him, then they're able to uh, come to faith. So, Michael, why don't you tell us just briefly uh, how you became a follower of, of Yeshua? What brought you to faith? What can you look to that really moved you to the Lord? Instead of uh, asking what brought me to faith, he asked who brought who? you to faith. <laughs> Much the, better <laughs> question, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, the answer is uh, obvious. Uh, Jesus, Yeshua himself. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you ask me about events that preceded uh, to this, uh, my father, he is Holocaust survivor and he comes from religious family. 
survived. He lost his father, his mother. I never seen my grandfather and mother, grandfather from his side, and almost no one from my mother's side. And uh, he escaped actually camp uh, one day uh, before Germans exterminated all fifteen thousands. And he was one of the four people who escaped uh, from this camp. But um, uh, till the end of his life, he was kind of uh, a traditional Jew. And he always told me, you know, it's difficult to believe in God and his mercy after this uh, two and a half years in captivity. But then we came to faith. Why? Because in our Hebrew classes, we met two wonderful people, uh, Christians, messianics who shared with us gospel first of all by their life and referring this life to jesus so when we compared their life with bible literally new testament we found a really striking similarity and a striking similarity tells me that it's real michael well so we believed in real god and we came to faith in 1990 and they shared the gospel with you in Hebrew? They spoke just English and we spoke just Russian. <laughs> so it was sort of monkey language, you know, gesturing and explain. But we observed their life and we seen love. When you see love, love doesn't need words. And it just happened. Miracle. <laughs> really. Miracle. Mitch. So, dear friends, uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for Michael and his family for the work of Chosen People Ministries in Israel and Jerusalem, for Michael as he leads this great work. And uh, Michael, thank you so much for sharing with us, and God bless you. God bless you. Anyone can make predictions about the future, but the real question is, what does God say about the future? That question, along with 29 others, is one that prophecy expert Dr. Charlie Dyer answers in his latest book, What Does the Bible Say About the Future? If you're interested in getting an insightful look at the last days that's grounded in God's Word and not human fantasies, this is the book for you. Once again, the book is called What Does the Bible Say About the Future? And it's our gift to you today when you reach out and say hello. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. That's chosenpeople.com slash radio. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And right now we're actually going to hear from Jan Rosenberg, who leads a thriving Messianic congregation in Jackson, New Jersey. And when he was a young man, he went through some undeniably supernatural experiences. And as a result, he knew that the only way to find peace and freedom was through the Messiah, Jesus. And so let's listen now to his incredible story of redemption. It turned out that I had a very rare susceptibility to hypnosis uh, that I didn't know about. I felt something change in me. I felt something controlling me. I remember seeing this dark cloaked image with a bony finger, and he had my parents in a dome, and he said, you'll never see your parents again. And I remember at one point waking up and noticing that the street lights were his eyes. And I felt that presence of that force once again. And it was as if I could hear him speaking. And he said, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? 
And I said, no, I don't want you here. And it, it was as if a veil pulled back and that fiery face that tormented me when I was a child that I saw and haunted me in my dreams and all of those things was there. It was coming back again from when I was three and a half years old or four years old. And I said, I'll kill you. In the meantime, <laughs> my mom had called the police. They came in. They heard me say, I'll kill you. When the first one came, I threw him 10 feet across the room, a little 16-year-old skinny kid throwing a big cop. So they knew something was up. I don't know where, I didn't know where the power came from, but it was something that uh, definitely got their attention. And they took me uh, to the hospital and they were trying to figure out what it was. They, it was so unusual and so different. They had never seen anything like that. We were in synagogue on Friday nights and on Saturday mornings, and it was always a part of our life. We were helping to meet the minion for the Minkhan Marav service, and it was wonderful. And all I wanted to do was do something that would please God. But I wondered what about the relationship with God when I see in the scriptures when it talked about Avraham and Yitzhak and, uh, and Yaakov having a relationship, an intimate relationship with God. I said, how come we don't have that? In my freshman year of college, uh, I was living off campus. I was keeping kosher, I wore my yarmulke, I was doing all these things. I was with my roommate, we had some things that happened that were very unusual and made me feel very uh, under pressure. I felt the presence of that force again that I hadn't experienced since high school and I thought that was all done and I got really nervous and in that moment I found myself quietly asking God, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And then it came up in that process, the issue with my roommate about Jesus. And I thought, oh, gosh, it's a setup. This is crazy. I said, God, Jesus is real. I couldn't even say the name. It was such, so anathema to me. And as I said it, I felt something stirring up and rising up in my stomach. And I thought, whoa, what is this? And I tried it one more time and it happened. I said, you know what, I, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to sleep. So the next day, my friends asked me, uh, and my roommate and his friends asked if I wanted to go to church with them. And I said, what do I want to go there for? And inside, something said, you need to go there. There's something I need to see. I just knew I had to be there, but I had never been in a church. And it was the last place I would have thought to go. I kind of thought they believed in three gods, spoke Latin in church, and hated Jews. And so I assumed Jesus was the biggest anti-Semite of them all because that's the one they claimed we killed and that was the one that they claimed was at the forefront of everything they believed. Uh, but at the end, he, he, they did an altar call and 2,000 people, about 100 people went forward. And then he said, there's one more person that wants to come forward. And nobody went forward. And I started to think, yeah, I think it's me. And then he says from the front, you know who you are. I said, yeah, but I, I can't do this. He says, you can do this. I thought, is he reading my mind? And all of a sudden he says, I'm not a mind reader, but I'm just saying what God tells me to say. And this went back and forth for a while and nobody went up. And then finally I said, no, 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 I'm not gonna do this, I'm not doing this. And I felt that force again and I said, oh, I want to do this. Well, by the time I wrestled to do it, I stood as he said, everybody be seated. And I'm the only one standing. And I could just feel everybody looking at the one guy standing. And then he said something, he said, bring him down, bring him down here. 
It took six people to get me to the front. All of a sudden, I was praying with him in a chair, and I felt again this rush and this flush of electricity. So I knew it wasn't a man. I knew there was something there. There were no wires. There was nothing. I knew something supernatural had happened. And uh, when I looked around the room, I thought they whitewashed the place. I thought, who painted the building? I mean, it just seemed different. It was as if the scales of my eyes were removed and everything looked different. I didn't understand it, but I couldn't deny it. A couple of days later, I was on the phone with my mom. And in the conversation, she said, Jan, you sound so happy. You sound so at peace. What is different? She said, well, what is it? Maybe I can do it. And I said, well, I wish you would, but I don't think you want to know this. She had scheduled for me to see rabbis. She had scheduled for me, I'd say five different rabbis, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. She had the whole thing set up for me. People ask me, how can you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? You can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And I asked them a question. I said, who told you that? They said, everybody knows that. I said, okay, everybody knows, but how do you know it? Have you ever studied it? No. Have you ever looked at it? No. Have you ever evaluated uh, to challenge it? No. And then they tell me, by the way, you're brainwashed. You believe whatever you're told. You can't think for yourself. So I continue to ask them, how do you know? And then finally it comes down to them saying, if he was really the Messiah, the rabbis would tell us. I said, so you know it because the rabbis told you? Yes. I said, so you never studied it, you never looked at it, you never evaluated it, you never had any cost involved, but the rabbis told you and you believe it. Who's brainwashed? At an early age, Leopold Cohn had to learn to trust God. Orphaned when he was seven, Leopold and his sister grew up in an Orthodox Jewish community in Berenza, Hungary. And while his life had been mapped out for him, Leopold's quest to discover the Messiah soon got him into trouble. Making his way to the New World, Leopold landed in Brooklyn where he discovered a small church offering meetings for the Jews. The meetings were led by a young, fiery rabbi, and soon the two rabbis struck a friendship that would change Leopold's life forever. Discover more of the story when you connect with us today at chosenpeople.com radio. You are listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, or if you'd like to keep up to date on the latest news coming from Israel, please be sure to sign up for our Inside Israel newsletter. You'll find a link online at chosenpeople.com radio. And then if you have questions about Israel in the end times, please be sure to request Dr. Charlie Dyer's new book, What Does the Bible Say About the Future? Dr. Dyer is a prophecy expert who offers an insightful look at the end times that's grounded in God's Word, not human fantasy or stories. And with a biblical understanding of Israel in the future, you'll be powerfully equipped to share God's plan with those around you. We'll send you the book for free just for reaching out today. And once again, you'll find us on the web at chosenpeople.com radio. Or you can request What Does the Bible Say About the Future?, by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 
2-241-10022. That's 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York, 10022. And right now, let's wrap up today's program from Israel with the Aaronic Benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.